Let's get to this. This is about the power of passion. And here's what I want you to hear. If you're new, on the back of that blue bulletin, there's this little sermon outline. Most of the stuff what I talk about is there in an outline form, and there's some fill-ins too. All right. So this is the longest section in which the guy speaks. This is the longest speech that he makes in the entire song. You need to know that. It's very important that you understand that. The passion is like constantly building throughout chapter 4 all the way to this huge crescendo that happens in chapter 5, verse number 1, all right, which is where we're headed. And he's talking in chapter 4. He is, he is giving this detailed description of the way she looks. He's talking about her eyes. He's talking about her lips. He's talking about her cheeks. He talks about her breast. It's from head to toe. It's their wedding night. And he's describing it. And the intensity just picks up, picks up, picks up. And at one point in this, he says, I think I'm getting ready to pass out. That's how intense it is. All right? So, guys, I'd like you to write this down. Plan a special night. So this is their wedding night. All right, it's a wedding night. Just because if you're a husband, you know, you had that special wedding night, doesn't mean your special night planning nights, doesn't mean it's over. You plan a special night. She's thrilled with this. You're going to see how thrilled she is with this in just a moment. But she is absolutely thrilled and it's totally important. And this is why God gives us an entire chapter and this is why God gives us an entire speech, the longest speech he makes about this special night. It's really important to plan a special night. So if you're a husband, you should plan a special night for your wife. Let me tell you one other thing I want to tell you about this. You should plan a special description. Write that one down too. Plan a special description. This is very biblical. All right, guys, you need to say it. Guy, you need to say it, and wife, you need to hear it. This is very biblical. So if you're a husband, you need to say this, and a wife, you need to hear it. Very, very difficult, as you can imagine, that as he's going through this, and he's, he's naming all these parts, and again, he's focused on, and I can't say this any clearer, he's you got to focus on the positive. So many things that we can focus on in our relationship, in our marriage relationship, that are negative things, right? Because we're so different, or things that over a period, whatever, okay, there's negative. You've got to focus on the positive, and even when it comes to the physical beauty, you have to focus on the physical beauty, the positive things. This is what he does, and he names it. Now listen, this more than likely would be embarrassing for almost every single single wife in this room though you might really want to hear it be very embarrassing to have your husband like say oh your eyes are this and your lips are this and maybe after a while you're like oh could you just shut up because this this is killing you know though you want to hear it it's it's really embarrassing so you got to be creative maybe as a husband maybe instead of just speaking it out to your wife maybe you just simply need to write it to her and maybe she will be uncomfortable with you reading it to her maybe you need to let her read it but what i'm saying is this is an entire chapter You need to plan a special description of your wife. It needs to be said. Wife, he needs to say it. God says you need to hear it. So please don't forget that. It's very important. Let's move on. Let's go through this thing line by line. I'm going to start chapter 4, Song of Solomon, verse number 8. He says, come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me. Anytime in the Bible when you're talking about physical intimacy, again, this is their wedding night. When you're talking about, it's always in the context of a covenant committed relationship called marriage. It's always in that context. Look what I wrote down here for you. Genesis chapter four. What does it say? Adam, what? It's all about how he, he, he had physical intimacy. He had sex with his wife. How does it describe it? It says he knew her. Not a random act. It's not just physical, not just sex. He knew her. It's relational. It's relation. Great sex is always the result in the Bible of a great relationship. You can't have great sex without a great relationship. So let me give you another one. Genesis 4, 17. If we missed it the first time, maybe we'll get it the second time. 
Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. It's always given in the context of a relationship. Verse number 9, he says, Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9. You have stolen my heart. You know what that means in the Hebrew? He is saying to her, my heart is racing. Literally, the words in Hebrew mean, my heart is racing. My heart is beating out of its chest. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes. She looks at him, and he's about ready to melt. He is about ready to melt. His heart is racing. Verse number 10. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine? He's saying, I feel intoxicated on love. I am so intoxicated, I'm about ready to pass out. I cannot handle this. My heart's beating fast. I don't know if I can contain myself. This is what he's saying. It's mounting, it's mounting. Then he says, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. French kissing did not originate in France. Verse 12, he calls her a garden. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. He says, you're a fountain, and you're, you're, you're a fountain, you're a garden. You're a garden, you're a garden that's been locked up, it's been sealed. Nobody can get into this garden. What they would do back in their days, they have these gardens, and they didn't want anybody else getting into these gardens. These gardens represented a place of life. They represented a place of you know, freedom and joy and abundance and all of these good things that we think about. And he says, that's who you are. And they would protect their gardens back then. He says, you have protected your garden. You have saved yourself for this moment, this night. She's a virgin. And he's saying, you have saved yourself for me for this night. When it speaks of water here, water in Israel, even to this day, everybody, water in the land of Israel represents life. This guy is saying, because of what you have done, I feel so fully alive. Like I am more alive than ever. He is overjoyed. She is giving him a gift. There's a gift exchange. Write that in. There's a gift exchange here this night. You know, maybe you've been to weddings. Maybe you're married. Maybe you've been in a wedding. Maybe just attended a wedding. Whatever. Maybe you've recognized that at weddings people bring gifts. Like people come and they put it on this table and they're all wrapped up with the big, you know, with the big bow on it, right? And it's the gift to the bride and groom for the wedding. Well, later in the day, at night, most of the time, there's a private ceremony. You had a public ceremony. That was a private ceremony. And in the private ceremony, there's also a gift exchange. And the gift exchange is this. There's also a big bow. And she's got a big bow on her, and she says, listen, and here's wife, your husband needs to hear this. Biblical, he needs to hear this. I'm giving you a gift, and the gift I'm giving you is my body forever, giving you this gift. This is for you, and this is what she does. She's giving this gift. Now, he also gives his gift of a body. It's not the same way. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem to have the same punch. Hey, baby, here I am. <laughs> all, all yours like... Okay, you know, it just, it's not, it's not the same. But what does the Bible talk about, about the gift that, of a body that the husband can give to the wife? Job says it. Three parts I want to bring out to you. Eyes. Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will look at no one. I will lust for no one but my wife. Only, my eyes are yours. He gives his eyes. Mind. He gives the mind. Jesus says, Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Don't fantasize about anybody but your wife. Don't fantasize about other. Don't, don't do that. So he says, I'm giving you my eyes. I'm giving you my mind. And finally, commitment. 
Proverbs chapter 5. Wonderful. Don't delight yourself in any other physical body, but in the body of your wife. It says it specifically like this. Don't take joy or delight in, in any other woman's breast, but your wife. There's a commitment. His eyes, right? His commitment, his mind. There's an exchange of gifts that we see here, and it is absolutely wonderful. How does she react to all that? So he's gone through this list. He's given a special night. He's planned a special description. He's a man of character. He's entered into a covenant. He's taken responsibility. I'm just reviewing all the stuff we've done for the past four weeks. All of this building up to this relationship. All the pieces of the puzzle are in place. You remember, if you've been here for the past three weeks, how she's given these warnings twice, two warnings already. Don't awake love before it's time. Don't do it. Don't do it. Look what she says in verse number 16. Powerful verse. This is how she responds. She gives us one verse, a one verse response. That's all he needed was one verse. She says, awake, awake, north wind. A north wind is a powerful wind. Awake, powerful north wind. Come south wind. The south wind is a gentle wind. Awake, be powerful, but be tender. Power, you know, it's ready to rush in. And then she says, blow on my garden. Do we need to describe this? There's no commentary necessary. I'm not going to give any commentary. He's like, whoo, okay, I will blow on your garden. I mean, here we go. That its fragrance may spread abroad. Let my lover come into his garden and chase and taste its choice fruit. You know what this is saying. She's saying, now's the time. We've done things the way God has said to do things. Now's the time. Awake. Here we go. Now here's his response. Chapter 5, verse number 1. I have come into my garden. It is boom, boom time. I have come into my garden. Come into my garden, my sister, my bride. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. I've eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. They have consummated their marriage. It's clear exactly what has taken place here. Now, something very interesting happens. I'll give no commentary to the past two verses. All I'll commentate on is the end of verse number one. It's very, very important, actually. Somebody enters into the room, and they make a statement. Now, you know this is a song. We've been talking about this. You have the friends who sing the chorus in the song every now and then. You've got him speaking, her speaking, and these friends, this choir. But who speaks here? Because... It'd be really odd, right, for the choir to step in in the midst of the situation that just happened, right, on that wedding night with everything that just went down and the choir come in and say, hallelujah. It'd be really, 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 like your mom and dad could be in the choir. Like some of you grew up in church and mom and dad sang in the choir. And there, there's mom and dad and Aunt Agnes and sister so-and-so and uncle, you know, brother so-and-so. They're all singing there. Woo! It's not what's happening here. Most scholars, many, not say most Many scholars think this, I think this, after reading this over and over again and thinking about the moment and being in the moment, understand what happens. Here's what is said. The end of verse 1 says, Eat, O friends, and drink. Drink your fill, O lovers. Many Bible scholars believe this. I believe this. This is the one and only time that God speaks in the song. And he's saying, high five, fist bump, you did it. This is awesome. I am the creator of sex and romance and passion and marriage, and you got it to its powerful most height. You are experiencing the power of passion at its highest degree, at its highest degree. And I am thrilled with you because that's what I want for you. I want you to experience passion at its highest, not medium. 
I want it to be smoking hot for you. And God speaks. The master and creator of romance speaks. And he says, yes, yes, yes. Now, we get this wrong a lot, even in church. I was reading a story this past week, uh, you know, about a couple. Been in church all their life. They know the Bible, all that kind of, know all about it. And they were saying that in their bedroom, they have a picture of Jesus that hangs in their bedroom. And every time they get intimate with each other, they take that picture and they flip it around so Jesus can't see them. Where'd that come from? We have been robbed. We've been robbed. I'm going to get into that in just a second. Here's what I'd like you to write down. I know I've said it before. I want to say it again because I think it needs to be said. Sex is God's idea. Sex is God's idea. He is the author of this. He created romance. He created passion. It's his idea. And that idea has been stolen. It's been stolen from us. Not his intention. But it's been stolen from us. That we think for some reason that sex is Satan's idea. And, and, and Satan's the one who really knows how to give us smoking hot sex. We might feel ashamed afterwards or we might not. I don't know. But Satan is the one who offers us the smoking hot sex. And the whole time, God's like, what? Are you serious? Satan's got nothing for you. Satan only offers us shame. We'll see this in a second in the garden. What, what is the first command that we read in the Bible? It's not in Exodus 20. What's the first command that God gives us in the Bible? What? Anybody know? It's right there on your sheet. Be fruitful and multiply. That's God's command. You know, God's commands are really restrictive. Well, how do you feel about that one? There's only one way to be fruitful and multiply. Does anybody have a problem with that? He said, he created us to have lots of sex, just in the covenant of marriage. Created us for lots of sex, just in the covenant of marriage. And he, this is his first command. Be fruitful and multiply. We've messed that up inside and outside the church. Been messed up. Let me give you a couple examples of that. Thomas Aquinas. I'm going to give you some people, famous church um, theologians, Bible people from the past, all right? Thomas Aquinas, he said this, sex is okay as long as it's not enjoyed. That's smoking hot. Smoking hot. Martin Luther, sex is never without sin. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians of church history. Sex transmits original sin. Origin, he said, all pleasure is sin, and then he went out and castrated himself. There's been a time in the church history that people were refused communion for five days. You could not take communion for five days after you were physically intimate with your wife. What is that? That's shame. The Bible says the devil comes to kill and to steal and to destroy, and he's stolen here. He's stolen the idea. Sex is God's idea. Write this next one down. Sex is very good. Very good. <laughs> Genesis chapter 1. So God's creating, and he says he creates this on the first day. He's very good. This the second day. is very good. Right? All the way through. Things are, things are good. He doesn't say very good. He just says good. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Then he creates the man and woman. He gives them the command to be fruitful, multiply. And then something interesting happens all of a sudden. We go from everything being good to being very good. After the command is given and assumed that the command is heeded. Assumed that the command is then heeded and then all of a sudden things turn out to be very good. Satan is not the creator of sex. 
Satan is not the creator of sex. It is ludicrous to think that Almighty God, who is so incredibly creative, whose wisdom we can't even grasp, who has created this universe, who has created our bodies, that could do something that phenomenal that we would come along and say, okay, God, you did awesome with everything else, but you don't know how to have great sex. You don't have passion. We got to go to Satan for that. We got to follow his way for that because he knows the best way. You got everything else covered. You know how to be holy. You know how to create the universe. You know how to create the Grand Canyon. You get all that. That's awesome. You're great. But sex, you know nothing about sex. The devil knows about sex. And if I want to have smoking hot sex, I need to follow his ways. And God's like shaking his head. That's ridiculous. God gave us a whole book in the Bible to say to us, I am the author of romance. I am the author of smoke and hot sex. And if you really want it at its highest degree, trust me. If you really want it at its highest degree, trust me. Trust me with it. We've been stolen from us. It's robbed us. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 and then 18. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Here's what I want you to hear from that. He says, everything's permissible. Okay, you can do whatever you want. Everybody, listen, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it again before we conclude. This is not a message of guilt, shame, judgment, whatever. Paul says, anything you want, whatever the hell you want to do, do whatever you want to do. But does it work? Does it work? Paul's saying, does it work? Does it leave you feeling full or does it leave you feeling empty? Does it leave you feeling with feelings of shame or does it leave you with feelings of joy? Where does it leave you is what Paul is saying here. This past week, I did uh, an interview with Channel 4 News. Wendy Rieger uh, came over. We did this interview. It was all about this book called The Fifty Shades of Grey. Who's heard of Fifty Shades of Grey? Okay, about half of you. It's a tremendously popular book right now. They call it Mommy Porn. Mommy porn, because mainly women in their 30s and 40s are reading about this. And it's just, I'm tempted to really tell you how I feel about the book, because I find it so bizarre. Can I tell you one thing I find about the book that I find so bizarre? Just real quick. I can't help myself. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do this. I don't get it. It's about a young woman who is dominated by a man. Dominated. Tied up. Bound. She submits to him. He controls her. He dominates her. He tells her what to do. She does it. I don't get that. I thought we lived in a world, right, where I hear all the time. Like, last week we talked about the man being the husband, uh, right, of the home and stuff like And we're like, oh, no, 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 no. My husband's not going to dominate me, not going to leave me. I'm an independent woman. I do my own thing, right? Women rise up. They're independent. And then all women are flocking to this book and saying, this is awesome. I want to be dominated by a man. I don't understand that. And so when Wendy Rieger told me that, I said, that makes no sense, Wendy. I thought women don't need men. Doesn't make sense. But that's not what I want to talk about. She said, John, how can a wife reading this book, right? And the husbands are all like, yes, read, read, read the book, read the book, read the book. Comes home, she's all whipped up into a lather, and, you know, they have smoking hot sex. How could that be a bad thing? How could spicing up your marriage be a bad thing? I said, Wendy, because it doesn't work. It's a quick fix. Everybody, statistically true. Let's forget the Bible for a second, although the Bible said it many years ago. 
We know this about pornography, whether it's written or visual. It leaves people dissatisfied. Do whatever you want, but it just leaves you dissatisfied. And I said, Wendy, look at the numbers. Are people who are into pornography, are they satisfied or dissatisfied? The most dissatisfied sexually people in our world today are into pornography. Period. Statistically true. Fact. God says, I want to show you a better way. So I said to Wendy, I said, Wendy, I got a better book for you. It's called The Song of Solomon. Throw the 50 shades of gray into the trash because it's going to lead to emptiness. It's going to lead to shame. Quick fix. Lead to emptiness, shame, disappointment, and probably lead to some affairs. I got a better book. It's called The Song of Solomon. None of that made the interview. Does it work, everybody? All I'm interested in what what works. That's what Paul is saying. What really works? Think about that. Here's the thing. So they're in the garden, right? Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they take a hold of the fruit, take it, and they eat it. What do they cover up? What do they cover up? Their sexual organs. Why aren't they ashamed of their hand? Why don't they make like a big glove for their hand? I shouldn't have touched it. Why don't they cover their mouth that it's dripping with all the fruit? I shouldn't have eaten it. No, they don't do that. They're ashamed sexually. The devil comes to make us ashamed. He steals from us and shames us. That's what he does. He offers a counterfeit to us. While God comes along and says, I want to show you how to have smoking hot sex. Last thing. Sex is powerful. Satan has stolen, he's confused, he's counterfeited, but the true power of sex God offers to us in the Bible, and particularly we see it focused in a special way in the Song of Solomon. I'd like to read to you just something to think about this morning, everybody. Genesis chapter 2. These verses are really mean a lot. We have to think. Think. Really think. Think. Think here. What is this saying? It says, but for Adam... Right? He's been created. All the animals have been created. There's only one piece of the puzzle that has not yet been created, and that is the woman. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. So Eve was created. Some women over, uh, over the years have had a problem with being associated with being a helper. They felt that was demeaning. You realize that the Bible calls the Holy Spirit our helper? The woman is like really kind of given that same association as far as the term is God, that's a pretty awesome thing, actually. There's no demeaning in the word helper here at all, unless you want to say that God demeans himself by calling himself a helper. So the Lord God calls the man to fall into a deep sleep. The first surgery takes place, and God Almighty is the first surgeon. Great surgeon to have if you ever need one. While he was sleeping, notice this. What did he do? He takes a rib from him. He removes something from the man. He closes the place up with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. Interesting. The man is made out of dirt. Who believes that men are made out of dirt? Okay. The woman is refined humanity. Right. Then the Lord God made the woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. The man said, this is now what? This is now the first recorded human words in all of history. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Now, let's end with this. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That's God's way. No shame is God's way. No shame is God's way. Got a picture of Jesus in your bedroom. You don't need to turn it around. 
There's no shame. God's way. I have a couple questions for you, and we'll try to wrap this up here. All right. Why didn't God create Eve at the same time God created Adam? Was he all out of creation bullets that day? Like, did he run dry? Was he tired? You know, I've done a lot of creating. It took a lot of energy for me to do all this. I'm done. Let's wait till next week, and then we'll talk about the woman. Why? He's making a point. He's making a point. Let's continue on. Let's think about the point he's making. All right. He removes something from Adam. He takes a rib from him. What does that mean? It means that now Adam is incomplete. Now, God already knew he was incomplete because he told him he was incomplete before he ever took the rib. But now, in case Adam missed it, he's telling him, I'm taking a piece of your body away. Like, you'll never reach your full potential. I'm taking something from you. So many men are searching for something in life. They're looking for significance. They're looking for completion. And God's saying, yeah, I understand that because I took your rib from you. Who remembers Sanford and Son, Red Fox? Anybody? Sanford and Son, Red Fox? We've got a couple old-timers. I love Red Fox. Had a scene in one of his Sanford and Son things where he had his girlfriend. He said, come here, baby, I need my ribs. Something like that. I thought it was awesome. Okay. He's looking for his, looking for his, we're looking for our ribs. Right? We're incomplete. A man cannot reach his full potential without his wife. A man, according to God, cannot reach his God-given full potential without his wife. That's the message. That's why she's not created at the same time, and that's why God says, in case you missed it, I'm taking a rib away. And so when he looks at her and says, ah, okay, now I understand. What does he say? You're bone of my bone. You're flesh of my flesh. He's saying to you, complete me. You all thought that Jerry Maguire said that. No, God said that years ago. He said, you complete, Adam said, you complete me. You're it. We would never play football without a helmet. Because we would be incomplete. We would never go out and play basketball without basketball shoes on or any kind of shoes on our feet because we'd be incomplete. We wouldn't play baseball without a bat. We'd be incomplete. And we should never, ever do life without our ribs because we are incomplete. That's the message of Genesis. God is saying that she completes. When is a man ready for sex? So it says he leaves in the old English way of saying it. I didn't put that in this. Is he cleaves? Same word as united. Leaving and cleaving. Who's been to a wedding that talked about leaving and cleaving? Huh? Leaving and cleaving. A couple of you. You are much younger than what I anticipated. So uh, leaves. What does it mean to leave? What does it mean to leave father and mother's house? It means that this man comes out underneath the covering of his mommy and his daddy, comes out under the covering of his father and his mother, and now he is taking personal responsibility for his own life. Not just financial responsibility, but that's an important piece to it. But he's saying, you know what? I'm growing up. I'm now a man. I know my responsibilities. I know that when I've done wrong, I have to admit to the wrongs I've done. I have to do the right thing by this world, by God, to this world, to other people. I need to be responsible. I am now a mature man. The mark of biblical manhood is responsibility. The mark of biblical manhood is responsibility, not irresponsibility. Anybody can run around and have sex all day long. People can go out and make money all day long. But you have to be responsible in the Bible to be a man. And so he's saying by him leaving. So when a man leaves and he's ready to take responsibility on, he's saying, now I'm ready to have sex. That's the biblical criteria for having sex. Then it says this, that he unites or he cleaves to his wife. And when it says he unites, it, he, it connects together the oneness that follows right after it to the uniting. The word unite or to cleave in the Hebrew means to be glued together. So when a husband and wife, when they cleave or they unite and they become one, it's like glue. They are now glued together and the glue is powerful. 
And that's why Paul says, don't unite yourself to random people because when you, when, you, when you glue together and you pull apart, what happens is the glue loses some of its power and it rips off some of the you know, remnants of that other person that you were with. It's not just a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's an emotional thing. It's all-encompassing and you rip it off. It diminishes its power and you leave behind the other person that was there with you. I'm going to, it's a very difficult day to add visual aids to what we're talking about, but I'm still going to do it. I beg your indulgence. I have some people I'm going to introduce to you. For lack of a better name, let's call her Barbie. (laughs) Here she is. Good looking young lady. Uh, She's got a nice short, uh, what do you call that? Printed floral kind of mini dress on there. Nice Christian young girl here. Uh, So, easy big guy. Uh, Okay. So she, you know, she's really interested in, uh, you know, a relationship. And so one day, uh, Barbie meets somebody, and his name is Surfer Sam. Now, let me tell you something about Surfer Sam. Surfer Sam is fun-loving. I mean, he is the life of the party. He's a party animal. He's into adventure. He's into excitement. She laughs all the time when she's with Surfer Sam. He always wants to do something exciting. He's like, hey, you know, all of a sudden, wake up. Boom, let's go rock climbing. Let's go surfing. Let's go repelling. And she's like, she's into the excitement. She likes that. Women like adventure and excitement. Barbie is attracted deep. And she's how could this be a bad thing? Surfer Sam is awesome. He's so spontaneous. And we do all this. So she decides one day, we should jump in the boom, boom box and seal the deal. So they jump in the box together. Okay. And the Bible says that when you do that, it's like glue, like the strong, that's too short. It's like, this glue is very, this tape is very powerful that our sound crew uses. Very, you can hear it just ripping. And so, okay, hang on. All right. So they are in the box together. Now they're going to seal the deal, right? It's a beautiful thing. Seal the deal. Very much sealed in the box. I won't make the box do anything. I'll just let it sit there. There'll be no other visual aids than that. And they seal the deal. It's wonderful. That's a problem, though. She learns later, wait a minute, I love the adventurous surfer Sam and all the you know excitement and all the laughter and stuff, but that's all he's into. Like, surfer Sam's not growing up. He's not growing up. He hasn't really left mommy and daddy's house. You know, he's just, he's, he's surfer Sam and he's content to be surfer Sam the rest of his life. And so eventually they kind of grow apart. And when they grew apart, I had to take, I had to take the tape off the box. I take the tape off the box. As you can see, the pieces of the box are coming with the tape. It's very difficult, but let's put the tape right here and let's take our couple surfer Sam He's no good. Get rid of him. Okay, didn't work. And there she is. All right. She still would like a relationship. She, you know, 90% of the people in America get married, right? And I think well above that number of women would actually like to get married themselves too. So she's still looking. She's still looking for Mr. Right. And, and after search for Sam, her heart's kind of hurting a little bit, but she meets a guy. Can I introduce you to him? His name is Metrosexual Mike. (laughs) This guy, this guy, he's confident. He's actually cocky. 
He is confident. He pursue, pursue. Oh, my gosh. You know, women like to be pursued. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard that women like to be pursued? This guy pursues like there's no tomorrow. Candy, flowers, emails, phone calls. He's strong. I mean, he is very strong. He is after her like a dog on a bone, right? He is just after her, after her. Pursue. And all that attention makes her feel great. Well, she's thinking, how can this be a bad thing? I mean, Mike is all, metrosexual Mike is all into me. He's crazy about me. I think it's time that we consummate this relationship because it's really clear that Mike wants to consummate the relationship. He's made it really clear that he wants to jump into the boom, boom box. He makes it clear. So he's, okay, all right, here we go. They get in the box together, right? Put the lid on the box. And we seal the deal because that's what the Bible says, what happens. It's powerful. It's like glue. So they get in the box together. All right. Now, she comes to find out that she was not Mike's princess. She was Mike's conquest. And she was just one of many that he was after. And her heart's broken. They come out of the box. Tapes have got to come off. They got more pieces of the box that are sticking now to the tape. It's becoming a problem. The glue is diminishing. Okay, metrosexual Mike is a real jerk. Get rid of him, idiot. Stupid. Come here. Come here, Barbie. His name is Fix-Em-Up Frank. He is a personal home improvement project. Okay? He doesn't look sloppy enough. I don't have enough, you know, Ken and Barbies in my house anymore with the clothing. So, you know, um, you know he has a hard time kind of keeping a job. And uh, he's a little disheveled. He needs help. Like, he needs somebody to dress him. Right now, he's living in his mom's basement. But he, he's, he's not going to do that for long. It's only been for 10 years. But he's getting out very soon. Right? And, um, you know, he doesn't have health and coverage and, you know, all these things. He's not a Christian. But there's, there's a world of potential there. He is, he's very adorable. Everybody knows he needs help. And so Barbie says, I can help you. So they decide to get in the box together. Oh, they go back in the box. And we get our tape here, and we, we seal the deal again. Okay? Now, there's one problem. Everybody on the planet knows that Frank needs help except for one person. Who do you think that one person is? Frank doesn't know it. And her heart's broken, and she tries, and she tries, and she tries, and she tries. He's happy for the sex. Happy about that. He just doesn't want to change his life in other ways. But keep the sex coming. It's a good thing. So eventually, with a broken heart, comes out of the box. That's it for Frank. Now, she finally, after all of these experiences and pain, she meets the man of her dreams. He loves God and he loves her. He adores God. He adores her. He wants her best. I don't have a guy for that because it's in your head. It's in your prayers. 
It's in your dreams. And they get married. And they have a very special wedding. And they have a very special wedding night. And they get in the box. And they seal the deal. There's only one problem. The tape has lots of pieces of the box on it from previous relationships. And its power has been diminished. I could have done this illustration as I did for the Barbie. I could have done it on the opposite side for the guy. Please don't take that to mean anything else. We just don't have that much time. That's all that means. And I didn't want to take a girl and smash her head and throw her over there. <laughs> Do things, things there. Um, this is not any way, shape, or form. If you're thinking for a second uh, you're feeling bad or you're feeling judged or you're feeling shamed, I can tell you right now there's absolutely none of that inside of me. That's not why I'm sharing this. But more importantly than that, there's none of that inside of God. God's not shaming you either. I would imagine that there's a good percentage of us in this room that we haven't done things the Song of Solomon way. We haven't done things. That's the bad news. And the power of passion and sex is to protect a marriage that it would be just so strong. So I want to say this. We always have hope in Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. God doesn't say to us, you know what? You screwed up. I'm done with you. God never says, you know what? You've made a mistake. Boop, out of you. Give me somebody in here that's going to do things the right way. God said, does not say, I'm going to make new things. He says, I'm going to take things that maybe haven't trusted me or done things the right way or made mistakes like we all have. He says, I'm going to do a new thing in you. I want to renew, restore, and redeem you. So you're here this morning and you're single or you're married and you're thinking, man, I haven't done it that way. Here's the beauty of Jesus Christ. He says, I will come and renew you and do a new thing. I'll restore you. I'll take that glue that maybe has lost some of its power and I'll add some power back to that. But you've got to trust me. The last thing you want to do is walk out of here this morning and say, you know what? I've already messed up. So I might as well keep on messing up because I've already messed up. That's not the message of Jesus Christ. That is Satan trying to trick you to lead you towards more disappointment, emptiness, and shame. Jesus Christ is over here, and I don't want to get associated with him. He's over here, I'm not Jesus, and he's saying, I love you, I want to restore you, redeem you, and renew you. And the Bible says this, it says, God will take all the ashes of our life, the things that we burned up, and he'll give us beauty, he'll give us joy, he'll give us fulfillment, instead of the ashes that we have created in our own life. Now this morning is communion. If you're on the communion team, hold tight. Don't get up. We are told clearly in the Bible, Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. You know what he's saying to us there? He says, when you celebrate communion, when you come here to one of these five stations we have, and you take that bread, the body of Jesus Christ, and you dip it into the cup, the blood of Jesus Christ, and you eat and you consume that, he says, I 
will be with you in a very special way. Jesus Christ is going to walk in this room in just a moment. And if we will trust him with our lives and trust him with our histories, he will redeem and do a new thing. He will forgive and he will restore. All this stuff that happens in our past affects our present and our relationships. And he says, I will help you to figure that out because there's no shame coming from me. The only thing I want for you is to have a smoking hot relationship. I want you to have beauty and romance because I'm the author of romance. That's what God is saying. So if you're on the community team, if you'll come and you'll get to your spaces. And then I want to describe for those of you who are brand new here, what communion is all about. Communion here is open to everybody. Communion is open to everybody. And here's the reason why, because this is between you and God. We don't get in between you and God. This is between you and God. It's a sacred moment. It's a special moment. The Bible says it's a moment in which we really need to consider where we stand in our relationship with God. You don't have to take communion here this morning. Nobody's going to look and you say, did you see so-and-so? Didn't take communion. Nobody's going to do that here. There'll be no judgment here. There'll be five different stations. You walk to one of them. They'll have a plate of bread on it. You take the bread. They'll tell you this is the body of Jesus Christ. And if you're really sensitive for a few moments, you might sense the power and the presence of the risen Jesus Christ right standing beside you as you take that. You take the bread, you dip it into the cup, you step aside, you go back to your chair, you step aside and you consume the bread. And I really want all of us to think about God who is the author of romance and who wants nothing but the best for us, not shame, Not disappointment, not an empty future. He wants to do in your life what really works, and he knows what works best. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you, God, that you give us hope. I thank you that we are never, ever without hope. Never without hope. I thank you, God, that you felt so passionate about this, that you left your throne, Jesus Christ. You took a beating. You died on a cross, pierced for our sins because you love us. And you don't want us to be ashamed. Lord, I pray that you would bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup for your honor and your glory. And may every single person here today be filled with hope and trust in you that your ways, God, lead to genuine satisfaction. In Jesus' name, amen.